from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling, with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Good evening and welcome to the Legislature Today from the State Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. We're potentially just one vote away from having a budget to send to the governor. It's been a week of early mornings, late evenings, and the passage and failure of some notable legislation and a call for a special session. Here to talk about all of that are Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News and Jake Zuckerman of the Charleston Gazette-Mail. Good to see you guys. Right. Now, as we are here talking, the Senate is in session, uh, and and it looks like they're going to be taking up the the budget bill from, that they received from the House last night. Uh, Brad, bring us up to date on on what the sense is. I mean, it, it, we're getting a feeling that it's pretty acceptable to the Senate in this yeah. condition. Yeah, this is smoother than what we might have thought. There appeared to be significant differences a week ago between the Senate and the House on the budget, but it appears that they've worked out some of these things behind the scenes and we are not going to go to conference committee, I don't think, to work out differences. Instead, uh, the Senate appears poised to pass what the House has already agreed to. And, and what's really enabled both houses to do that is taking the complicated piece off the table, which was that teacher pay raise issue. That's now going to go to a special session called earlier this week by the governor. And, and it's very strange. I mean, it's been taken off the table, and yet they've they've put that money aside for future use. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of they're, they're describing that as the promise that they've made uh, to those who would receive the, that part of the raise. Uh, teachers and school service personnel. We've got a line in the budget. Uh, the money is is set aside, but it can't be allocated until there's a specific bill coming out of the special session to say, all right, the raise is active. And um, some of the other things, uh, Chairman Householder uh, distributed a, a, um, a listing of what that uh, bill look like that they sent over to the Senate, apparently that everyone can agree on, um, or most people can agree on. And um, part of the, you mentioned the big difference about the, the salary uh, for mm -hmm. teachers. Another big uh, difference was the higher education uh, allotment that the, the um, House had appropriated. That was a big difference. The Senate did not. The, there, was, there was money for community and technical colleges in the House version. There was uh, enhancement money for the four-year institutions. 
and there was nothing. We heard Senator Unger a couple times this week stand up and say, you know, this is, this is your, your launch on public education continues in the present Senate budget. But in, in what they're considering right now, that money is put back, largely put back there. Yeah, that was something the House of Delegates wanted to do, give uh, more money to each individual uh, public four-year college, and then the community and technical colleges too, and the Senate didn't quite see it that way. At one point, it was discussed that the Senate was gonna lower that amount just a little bit to pay for other things, uh, but in this final product, what you see is uh, those four-year colleges, the public ones, and uh, the community and technical colleges getting a little bit of additional money, which is refreshing for them because they've been cut the last few years as West Virginia has faced severe budget challenges. There have been um, some, some tax cuts that have made it through, and I think they're reflected in this budget as well. What are, what are some of those? Yeah, severance tax cuts for um, steam coal, a uh, little bit for limestone, uh, a, a phase out of the income tax on Social Security, uh, so all these, a, a few, maybe 20, 30, 40 million dollars reflected next year, all of them are, are being phased out over a period of years, but uh, those were things that, that each side wanted to do, and those tax cuts now present in the budget. And of course, going into the, uh, into the session, we had close to 200 million in, in um, surplus that we were um, estimating for this year. Half of that goes into the rainy day fund by law, but then there was, uh, there were, you know, a there was a significant amount of money that was left over. And um, from what uh, Delegate Householder shared with us, uh, a most of the surplus wants or asks are from the House. The Senate's didn't, didn't make it in to what they're considering right now. Yeah, so Delegate Householder, it's his first year as finance chairman in the House, and he's very pleased by what they've accomplished. But the way that's going to work is there are certain things in the back of the budget, they call it, that can be funded if there's surplus at the end of the current fiscal year. Uh, and among those things is Jim's dream, part of it, uh, a lot of Jim's dream now funded up front. That's workforce training and, and efforts to combat drug addiction in West Virginia uh, kind of rolled together. But uh, the, there's additional money in the back of the budget, part of the surplus for Jim's dream as well. Also, um, uh, Randy's dream was a big one over here uh, in the Senate. That would have taken 110 of actually the, the general revenue um, for those, that secondary road fund. What they ended up doing is, is establishing the fund, but not funding the fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that money was $110 million meant for secondary road repairs. The Senate had at one point funded it directly from the general fund, uh, the House took that $110 million out but left the fund, I think there's still discussion behind the scenes of maybe using a portion of the road bond money that we've heard so much about and funding secondary road repairs that way. Um, some of the other um, uh, surplus uh, amendments that were, that were successful in the Senate was a $5 million appropriation for, um, nursing, for a nursing home in Southern West Virginia for veterans, um, a, a, an appropriation for the end-of-life care center, uh, the cardiac program. These things didn't make it 
into the budget that they're considering yeah, right there now. Was, there was a little bit of a kerfuffle earlier this week on the floor where uh, senators were rising and, and wanting surplus appropriations for things that they really, really cared about. And in the grand scheme, it was not a lot of money, but Senator Blair, the finance chairman, wound up saying, look, you know, we, we can't do it this way. You can't all just stand up and, and ask for your thing. Uh, we've got to balance this out somehow. And so what wound up happening is those things largely don't wind up in the budget. All right. Well, we'll be checking as, <laughs> as we wrap up the show and uh, continue to follow this evening to see mm -hmm. what happens with that budget. Um, Jake, I know that you have uh, reported significantly uh, this session on some criminal justice bills, and two of them made um, are, are very close to the finish line as of today. House Bill 2486 about licensing boards um, uh, and, let's see, which keeps licensing boards from denying individuals uh, a license based on, you know, based on their record. Mm -hmm. And then 152. Tell us about 152. Sure. 152 is an expungement bill. So the thought process being once you've served your time, you've completed your sentence, if you've maintained good behavior, you can go to a circuit court and essentially say, hey, I have a clean record, but every time I've applied for a job, I've had to disclose that I'm a felon. I would like to be done with that. And there's a process and you have to get a lot of approvals. It only applies for certain nonviolent crimes, but the hope being you could eventually get that off and not have to check that box and that be essentially shielded information. So you can move forward from this crime that you've committed and been convicted of after you have fulfilled the full sentence. I've just found it so interesting that this has been such a bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it really goes beyond the legislature, but I think that in this country there was this tough on crime approach that really came from the top down. And as prisons have become more and more populated, there's just been this understanding that this is not actually stopping crime. And what's happening are people getting out of jails, and it's so hard to reintegrate into the system that it actually tilts people toward committing more crime. But when you remove certain barriers to reintegration with society, like for instance, employment being a big one, people find ways to stay out. So now I think the legislature is, is just taking a fresh look at how do we keep people out of jail once they leave. And um, Senate Bill 152, that's the expungement bill, that passed the House this morning. Um, as we said, a lot of support for this. Let's hear some of the discussion today in the House. This is a vision for our state, something that, that we are wanting to champion and and help those people to, to get back and have a positive life. And, and a lot of times these people come from uh, the situation where they've lost their children, uh, they, they've lost a spouse, and they would like to show that they can be positive and productive and repair those damaged relationships. I usually come from things pretty much hard-nosed rule of law, but, and I don't sit on a judiciary committee, but I look through this bill and it really is a good bill. We got a a problem not only in West Virginia but throughout the United States on workforce participation. Uh, and we need to learn, you understand that people make mistakes and this, this bill goes a long way in trying to alleviate that and get these people back into a productive workforce. And by being able to, to expunge some of these records, it, it, it gives them hope that they can get back and uh, participate in our, in our uh, country, in our, in our economy. It's a good bill, Mr. Speaker, and I would recommend everybody uh, support this bill. Thank you. I, too, rise to support this bill because as we've 
continued to work constantly on this substance abuse problem. One thing that's come up over and over and over, Mr. Speaker, is that if we can't get people back into the workforce, it's very, very unlikely that their recovery is going to hold. So this bill is in a real attempt to get people back into the workforce, and I would strongly urge us to adopt this because this is really one of the missing pieces to get people fully recovered. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have a dear friend that had a problem with drugs, still has a problem with drugs. She was clean for a while, but her felony convictions kept her from moving forward with her life. Had this bill been law several years ago, I believe it would have prevented her from falling off the wagon. It's important that we pass this. It's important that we understand that we can help these people and while they make mistakes, those mistakes haunt them the rest of their life and prevent them from getting the help that they truly need. And I think this bill goes a long way for that. It's our passage. Southern West Virginia has a pretty big drug problem, as everybody here knows, but we have a lot of people that have pretty much ruined their life with one bad decision and they just keep going on down that road because they don't think there's any way out of it. This bill will give them a second chance to get out of it and I'm a big believer everybody deserves second chances because everybody screws up so this is a good bill and I'd urge your support. Uh, Jake a very uncomfortable uh, moment in the house this morning uh, tell us about resolution 21. Sure. Well, I, I don't remember which 21 and 20 were. 21 were, but there was, were... The, was the one from uh, Mar Delegate Marshall. Will, okay, Will so that was the expulsion. Yeah, mm -hmm. so there were two resolutions, and it seems to make sense to discuss them together. There was sure, one for fine. censure of uh, Delegate Caputo, and there was one for his expulsion from the chamber. They both stem from an incident that occurred a week ago, actually, mm -hmm. where he, in his own words, kicked the door open and injured a young man, Logan Casterline, the extent of his injuries aren't exactly known. Uh, his attorney has released a statement that said he underwent a lot of pain, and we know that he went to the hospital for some sort of examination. But it's sort of been this festering question of A, how do we handle Delegate Caputo's actions as a body, and B, there have been some other incidents, and are, is there an issue of double standard here? Is How do we handle this incident not in isolation of others? And I think the debate was cut off before it went anywhere ugly today, but I'd say both resolutions were pretty soundly defeated. They were soundly. They, um, uh, the, the first one was defeated uh, 65 to 35, which meant 24 Republicans had to, you know, had to join in, in uh, not uh, approving the, the resolution. Um, you know, there, there's been talk about that all week, that the punitive actions would have been more severe. Now, earlier this week, he was stripped of his um, committee assignments. Um, real briefly, Jake, you did some um, reporting on what people are saying is the double standard. Uh, we've had um, a, a delegate who has um, had very inflammatory comments about um, all all groups of people and um, uh, people were saying it's a double standard the 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 speaker never really came out and um, distanced himself from that or or, or said it was wrong mm -hmm. uh, yeah delegate Porterfield I, I think 
people are more than aware by now he has made inflammatory remarks connecting against, I'll just say against gay people, there's no use repeating them, but mm -hmm. he's just made these inflammatory remarks. It's been a recurring theme throughout the session. And I know I once interviewed Speaker Hanshaw and he said that those remarks are nothing I agree with and nothing I stand for, right. but there hasn't been any sort of forceful joint statement from the power of the speaker or from the house as a body. And I think people have just been so concerned that you know, rightly or wrongly, the, the House is really bringing the hammer down on Delegate Caputo. And I think that there's this sense of where was this some weeks ago when all this started to boil over. Right. Well, the counter argument has been, and I'm not embracing one argument or another, but the counter argument has been that Delegate Caputo's action was physical in nature, uh, whereas Delegate Porterfield's words were as awful as they were words. And it, and it just seems like the resolutions that failed may have just put that to rest and maybe they're moving on at this point. Um, in the Senate, Brad, uh, House Bill 2010, the very large foster care bill, uh, passed today. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of those emotional remarks and then we'll come back and talk about uh, that very large bill. There was a lot of uh, input from a lot of stakeholders and we tried to listen to them all. There, there's the, there, a lot of them had financial incentives, but there was, there was a couple that, that didn't. They were just here to, to speak their piece about caring about the kids of foster children in West Virginia and our foster care system. Mr. President, we're, we're currently going to, um, the DHHR is currently going to an MCO model. They're gonna be in an MCO model if this, even if this bill doesn't pass. If this bill passes, they're going to be an MCO model with these regulations, these reporting criteria, and all the other stipulations that were made in this piece of legislation. How do we, how do we think we're going to do better when we're, we're injecting a layer of profit into this? Um, I, I just I don't understand well, the concept. I know we're throwing in the towel on DHHR's mismanagement, and I get that. I, I understand that. I personally think the fix should be at the bottom to pay the employees uh, that are on the front line more. You'd have better qualified people. And again, I, I appreciate the spirit in the, in the hard work you've undertaken here, but I don't see how we can interject a profit into this process and do better well, for let me, kids. Let, let, me, let me respond to that. The, there's gonna, DHHR is gonna contract this foster care out to an MCO, whether this bill passes or not. I mentioned that earlier, okay? Uh, if, it, if the bill fails and they do that, all these reporting things that we have in the bill, all these other provisions that we work so hard on, they'll, they'll be out, okay? And and they, but they still will have the MCO. It'll still be based off the, they'll still have a 1% profit and they'll, and they'll still have, you know, all the other monetary parts will be the same. Now I'll tell you that, that you. I don't, everyone wants these kids to be taken care of. These kids are starting out rough, okay? Uh, and I feel for all these kids. And the last thing I wanna do is not take care of these kids. Uh, now, th there is an argument to be made that an MCO, because they have maybe a full complement of staff, unlike DHHR, maybe they have a wider network, maybe they're gonna be able to offer more streamlined and better services than the kids are currently having. Okay, maybe it will be worse. Maybe it'll be the same. No, nobody knows that. And that's why this reporting piece is very important because we're gonna know it within the first year. I've spoken with several judges that deal with this on a regular basis. Since it's been tweaked 
they're good with it. Uh, I think that the, uh, the children will be in a better managed situation. And uh, I think that at the end of the day, uh, we'll be able to monitor this very closely. And, uh, and if we see some things going awry or we see, we see uh, uh, performance measures not being uh, met, then uh, that can be dealt with in the contract as we move forward. So again, this is a tough, tough situation, but I don't think we have enough time to, uh, to deal with it. I think we have to do something. I hear a lot of people who recognize the need that we have to do something, and I uh, applaud that there has been bipartisan effort to try to get the best bill that we can. All of your um, members who are part of Children and Families have been hearing reports for over a year on the crisis that we have. And is this bill perfect? Maybe not. I think it's a first step. And I think most of the folks that I have spoken to who do have concerns, they recognize this is a step. Ladies and gentlemen, I think this bill's well-intentioned. I think it is a first step. I don't like all it does. I don't care about fee-for-service or managed care. That's irrelevant to me. But at some point in time, we have to worry about the product on the other end of the spectrum, and that's these children. I just want to be clear. Is it, is it your intention um, that over the next year, with those reporting requirements, we can work with folks on the ground who may have concerns about this now to fix what needs to be fixed next year? Absolutely. The, uh, made a lot of uh, new friends during the working of this bill, uh, and some of them didn't get everything they wanted in this bill, and they're still, we're, we're still friends. Uh, we're gonna stay in touch, we're gonna revisit these issues, and we're gonna, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a few few parts of this bill that are gonna help us, the ombudsman and their report to the legislature, and the MCO's report to the legislature. That's gonna tell us how the foster families feel, how many complaints there are, that the ombudsman's had to field. There's gonna be a, a com statewide computer network for those complaints that's created by this bill. That's number one. And number two is the MCO report about, are, are they playing games? Are they making people jump through hoops? Are they taking too long? Or does everyone have to appeal? How many are they approving? How many are they denying? Absolutely. We're gonna look at those things. That's why we put them in there. And if they're not working, we're gonna, we're gonna fix them. And, and I mean, a fix could be anything from a tweak to pulling the plug. And the Senate passed that bill overwhelmingly, even with all that uh, reservation, 33 to 1. It goes back to the Senate now, because, or the House rather, because the Senate did amend it in those various uh, areas that uh, Senator Maroney outlined. Um, Jake, we were talking uh, during the break, and it's, it's amazing to, to um, even realize that so many of these things were just, just happened a day or two ago. Like, uh, the um, community and technical college bill that passed, and then the uh, Campus Self-Defense Act that died just Wednesday night in Senate Judiciary. You were listening to that. What were your impressions of that meeting? Well, yeah, I had that on at home. I'm not covering it. I have some amount of personal interest in it, and I'm expecting a firefight, pun somewhat intended, of just you know them really going at it over this bill. And then they brought it up and they asked if anyone wants to bring any speakers up and no one did and they asked for amendments and there were none and they asked for discussion and there was none and there was a vote and the vote went down and that was it. And it just sort of suspiciously went away into the good night. Uh, did that surprise you as well? Yeah, just incredible compared to the three or four hours of debate on the House floor the prior week. 
you know, and that's what I was expecting again. A lot of expressions of concern, uh, a lot of talk from the other side about people's need to defend themselves, and there was none of that. It just, just went away. Um, looking ahead again to the, the special session, um, I, I understand that uh, the governor came up and talked to both caucuses, both, both parties, about uh, you know, the need for everyone to get along and let's, let's work something out. Yeah, so you know, the governor um, has his own unique style, but he decided that he needed to get actively involved this week and met with uh, the Democratic caucus in the House, the Democratic caucus in the Senate, the Republican caucus in the Senate, and the Republican caucus in the House. They weren't real long meetings, but it was a day later that he announced uh, we're gonna do a special session to deal with the teacher pay raise and other changes, betterment he called it, to the education system. And what shape betterment will take remains a mystery to all of us. Okay, we have a little more than 24 hours before the end of this session. What, what do you see playing out and uh, will it be a harried uh, fit, uh, you know, race to the finish line or, or are we expecting something a little more subdued again? I don't know. I was just looking at the agendas and there aren't too many bills on second reading today, meaning third tomorrow. So as far as what we're going to do tomorrow, play cards? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I mean, you, you say that, but, but time can be a vacuum and it can be filled with arguing about something. Last year there was a surprise late argument about uh, the medical marijuana banking bill came up, kind of festered throughout the day and then got intense between 11 and midnight. Could be arguing again. All right, well, we will be here. Thank you guys for being here all session long. Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News and Jake Zuckerman of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Really appreciate it. Please join us uh, tomorrow evening for our live broadcast from the Capitol starting at 8 p.m. and going through midnight when the gavel will close on the 84th West Virginia Legislature. We'll capture whatever those final hours hold. We'll talk with lawmakers. We're hoping the governor will be able to join us and we'll share some special feature stories. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.